Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. This morning, I'd like to begin by reading a comparison of getting ready for school in the 1980s versus getting ready for school today. And I think it'll help set the stage for what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, really. But uh, I want to read it. It's from Victoria Fed, and you may have seen this online. If you were in the 1980s and getting a kid ready for school, you'd take them downtown to go shopping at Sears for back-to-school clothes the last week of August. Get everybody a new pair of corduroys and a striped T-shirt. Buy the boys a pair of dungarees and the girl a pair of culottes, and no, Jennifer, you cannot have that orange and red poncho. But you promise you'll crochet her a better one with more fringe. You get the girls a package of that rainbow fuzzy yarn that they like in their hair. You're done. You've spent a total of $43. On the night before the first day of school, that would be the Sunday night after Labor Day, of course, you throw the kids in the way back of the station wagon, go down to the Kmart, and hurry over to the back-to-school area to pick out a lunchbox. And they need to get back in bed by 8 o'clock, and so if they don't hurry up, they're going to miss the wonderful world of Disney if they can't decide between the Fonz or a Dukes of Hazard lunchbox. Grab a composition book for each of them and pack of pencils, too. That's all they'll need. Remember to save some grocery bags so they can cover their textbooks with them after the first day of school. Next, you'll line up all your lunchboxes on your Formica countertop in your kitchen. You'll open up a bag of Wonder Bread and do this assembly line style. Spread the yellow mustard on the bread, slap a piece of bologna on it, unwrap a piece of cheese, put that on top of the bologna, and you're done. You put it in a lunchbox. Every kid gets the same lunch, period. Alternate alternate sandwich choice could include peanut butter or, and grape jelly. Put some planter's cheese balls into a baggie and close it with a twist tie. Take a Twinkie out of the box and throw it in the child's lunchbox. Fill their thermos with Kool-Aid or milk. Include a red delicious apple, even though you know that that apple's coming back this afternoon and you know that you'll put it back in the box for tomorrow. Close the lunchbox as you're done. They'll grab the lunchbox along with a frosted, frosted Dutch apple Pop-Tart on the way out the door as they walk a half mile down the road to get to the bus stop. That's getting ready for school in the 1980s. Here it is today. Take five deep breaths and say a positive affirmation. We're headed back to school. There's still a couple weeks left of school. Don't worry, you still have time to order your BPA-free bento box, which a bento box is a fancy lunchbox, that did not involve any child labor, sweatshops, or animal cruelty. Remember, you have Amazon Prime. You have plenty of time to get the two-day shipping that will allow you to have plenty of time to read the reviews and make sure you're making this very important decision. One week later, the boxes have arrived, and so your child's uh, school list of annual supplies has also showed up. It's three and a half pages long. It includes a 10-pound bag of flour, several cleaning products, and also requests a Costco-sized package of toilet paper. You begin a frantic online search for backpacks and school bags made from the all-natural materials yet still cool. Have them monogrammed. Take your kids shopping at the mall if you're adventurous or just stay online and spend approximately $2,000 on your credit card. Next, you'll intently study the allergy list that your school has sent with which lists all the items that the other children in your child's class are allergic to and thus cannot be in your child's lunch either. This is extremely stressful because the last thing you or really anyone wants to do is be responsible for a second grader going into anaphylactic shock. Make sure you put notes in your phone so you'll remember what not to buy when you go to the store. Next, you'll purchase the school supplies for your children. This is not to be confused with the three-and-a-half-page list of classroom supplies that you're also responsible for. They'll need paper, pens, folders, notebooks, a calligraphy set, 15 new apps on their tablets, a graphing calculator, scalpel, electron microscope, and a centrifuge. 
go to Whole Foods to shop for local or for your school lunch items. This will take four hours, and you have to read every single label to make sure you're purchasing organic, locally sourced, non-GMO, gluten-free, allergy-friendly products. You come home with tahini, bananas, and a package of brown rice cakes. You've spent $74. The night before the first day of school, you prepare your lunch boxes. You fill the containers with organic local strawberries intricately cut into the shape of sea creatures. Include homemade granola with certified gluten-free oats. Make a sandwich on a vegan hemp bread out of tahini, kale, and jicama. Form it into the shape of your child's favorite Disney character. Next, you'll make flowers out of non-dairy cheese slices, olives, and seaweed. Make sure you post that on Instagram. Next, you'll write your child an encouraging note, which includes an inspirational quote or a verse. You'll fill their Yeti bottle with filtered water, which also includes a box of chilled coconut water in your lunchbox because children can never be too hydrated ever. You get up at 4 a.m. on the first day of school. You make the first day of school signs for each child so that you can photograph those and post those on Instagram. You blow up balloons. Actually, just go ahead and make a full-on back-to-school photo booth. Um, no wonder if you're a mom in here that sends your kid off to school that you're somewhat overwhelmed. And you look at what's changed in the last 30 years in our country, and some things are good and some things are not. But if there's one word to describe how nearly every person in this auditorium has felt over the last six months, it's the word behind me, and it's overwhelmed. Now, being overwhelmed is not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus was overwhelmed in the garden, and he turned and prayed to the Father and asked for help. The problem is, is when we're overwhelmed and when we seek inward to try and fix the problems on our own and we don't look to the Lord, that's where it becomes a problem because we were never promised that we wouldn't be overwhelmed in life. Matter of fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so as you think about being overwhelmed, and it might be because of stress, it might be because of a job, it might be because of a family situation, it might be because somebody told you wear a mask or not a mask. I mean, there might be anything in your life going on right now that could cause you to be overwhelmed. And the question that we're going to look at today is, what do we do when we're overwhelmed? And where do we look to? And the awesome truth is, is that God's Word has, has a lot to say about this. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to... Numbers chapter 13. Now, you probably haven't been in Numbers maybe ever. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It'll be on the screen behind me as well here. But uh, the book of Numbers offers some tremendous insight on how God interacted with his nation of Israel. And we're going to pick up this story about midway through today. And if you remember, the nation of Israel was slaves or held in captivity for 400 years. And then God raised up a leader named Moses, and Moses took them out of Egypt and put them, sent them towards the promised land, but that wasn't filled without God showing up in some pretty miraculous ways. If you remember, he helped them out of Egypt with a bunch of plagues. He helped them cross the Red Sea on dry ground. He gave them a cloud to walk by by night and, and fire to see it, or cloud at day and fire at night. He provided food for them in the middle of the desert, and he said, I want you guys to go to this promised land I'm giving you, and I want you to follow Moses as he leads you there. Well, they get close to the promised land, and, and God tells Moses, I want you to take one person from every tribe, and I want you to send them into that promised land just to kind of survey it, feel it out, see what's going on. And that's pretty much where we pick up the account in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, where they give their account to Moses. Now, we're going to read a little bit of this today, and it's a little bit longer than we normally would, but in order for you to get the context, you've got to hear the whole story, because I think it it compares, um, you'll see some striking comparisons to the world we live in today and how they handled an overwhelming problem in the, in the world in which we live today as well and how we, can, how we can deal with it. So Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 says, They gave Moses this account. 
We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those who are living in it. And all the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anna, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to him, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, and is a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of these people, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so these 12 men make their way into the promised land, and they see what's happening here. The incredible thing is that, is that God had told Moses in Exodus chapter 23 and Exodus chapter 33, if you have some time this week, go back and see. And God tells the people exactly what they're going to encounter. He lets them know that, look, this land is flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's fertile. The fruit is huge. There is incredible wealth in this land as far as from a, from a land standpoint. You guys just need to go in and take it. And by the way, these people who are listed there, all the ites, the Jebusites, Amorites, all of those people, you'll find them there, but don't worry. We will take care of them because that's the land that I want you to have. And so in verses 27 through 29, you see them. They come and give this report, and the first verse kind of is a recap of really the last 10 verses. It says basically that there is, here's the fruit, and look at what we found. And we find in the verses preceding this that the fruit was so good and so big, it took two men to carry the cluster of grapes on a pole because the, grapes, the, the cluster of grapes was that big. And so it's exactly as they were told it was going to be. It's, the land is as good as God told them it would be. And in verses 27 through 29, we see that. And in verse 28, though, it all goes awry because they stop focusing on what God had told them, and they start focusing on the problem in front of them. In verse 28, it says, But, even though, yes, the land is exactly what God told us, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. And what happens and begins to unfold for these people is that they took their eyes off of the Lord and they started to focus on their problem. And they became overwhelmed, which is what often happens in my life and in your life, is that a problem arises, something happens, and we find ourselves being laser-focused on the problem instead of seeing what God might want us to see in the midst of it. They took their eyes off of the land and all that God had promised them, and they said, wait a minute, there's big people. And the descendants of Anak, if you don't know, that's where Goliath comes from, right? So these are large, tall people. In verse 29, it says that the Amalekites, and they live there, the Hittites, Jebusites, all those people. And just the point of that, look, that's, they're in the right place. 
This is where God told them to go. But they couldn't see that. All they could see was because they were so afraid of the giants and the large fortified cities and all the problems that they were potentially going to face. In verse 30, it says, Then Caleb, so out of the 12 people who went to look at this land, Caleb and Joshua were the two that said, Let's go take it. It's, it's here. God said he's with us. Let's go after it. And their other 10 were not near as excited. But Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. So Caleb and Joshua, these leaders, they trust God in spite of their circumstances. And they really give us a pattern or a framework of how to deal with our own circumstances in life. The other 10 were overwhelmed by their fears. And they doubted whether they could trust God. And that's what often happens when we become overwhelmed. When things don't go the way that we think they should, and there is a, a legitimate problem, and I am not here to, to minimize your problems today. I'm just to say that often what happens when a problem occurs in our life, heads up, because Satan will come for you at that time. He loves to plant seeds of doubt. Can you trust God? Is God really good? Does he have my best interest in mind? And oftentimes we can't see the forest from the trees, so to speak, that what God is doing in that time is ultimately for our good. And so in verse 30 and 31, we see that Caleb and Joshua, they're like, yeah, we can take it. But the other guy's are like, no, nah, I don't think we can. Here's what the main idea of today is, is that we'll be overwhelmed when our problems are big and our God is small. We'll be overwhelmed when our problems are big and our God is small. And what I want to help each one of us do today is I want to flip that. I want to recenter our lives to where God is big and our problems, although, yes, they're a big deal, if he owns the world, if he created the world, if he's in charge of everything, then he, your, your problem did not catch him by surprise. It did not catch him off guard. He isn't good because he allowed a problem to come into your life. But you can actually trust him in the midst of your problem. But if your problem stays big and your God stays small, you will find yourself not only overwhelmed, you'll find yourself crushed and paralyzed and not able to move past any other part of your life. And so you look what happens. This group of people is on the, on the cusp of their inheritance, and they, they kind of get hung up for a minute. This is a turning point for them, and, and I hope today's a turning point for you. To recenter, to say God is going to be the biggest thing. The problems, yes, they're real, and yes, there are circumstances that come into our life, but He is bigger than that, and He is more powerful than that. So we'll be overwhelmed when our problems are big and our and our God is small. And like I said, nobody's questioning that the problems in your life are not a big deal, right? They're always a big deal when they're in your life, right? Surgery is never a big deal until it happens to you, and then it's a big deal, right? And I've been able to see this as I get to pray for a lot of people over a number of years. I'm like, yeah, it'll be okay. Until I'm told I have to have something done, then I want, like, the whole church to come pray around me, right? Because it's a big deal then, right? So when we're in the midst of problems, it seems like we're the only one that's ever been through this. That we're the only one that could understand this. But in reality, God put the church together in part to help each other through the problems of life. To remind ourselves and to remind each other that God is still with us, God is still for us, God is still good, and God is greater than our problems. Verse 32, it goes on to say, and they spread. This would have been the 10 people who weren't all on board with going into the giant land. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there were of great size. 
We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They stopped talking about the land, and they started talking about their problem. And not only did they start among each other, but we find out it, it leads the entire nation astray. Because these 10 guys, all they could see was the problem in front of them. And that's all they could talk about. Now, if you've had any problems recently, like I'm sure you have, it's hard to get past that, right? You wake up every day and it's like problem, problem, problem. And so what do we do and how do we move past that? I want to give you some things here in just a minute to do that. But it's important to note that they stopped talking about what God had promised and they started looking at the big, scary problem. I was in a group of people the other day and it was interesting as I just kind of stood back and listened to them. They're like, well, I heard that this is going to happen. And I heard that this is going to happen. And then they said, this is, and you just went around the room and everybody had heard what was going to happen. And by the end of it, we were all dead. And right, like the problem had just, it had just exasperated itself. Well, that's what happened with these people. They're like, yeah, there were giants there and they were like nine foot tall. And then the next guy's like, no, I think they were 15 feet tall. And the next guy's like, no, I'm pretty sure they're like 90 feet tall. Because that's all they could talk about. It happens even in our world today, right? It, you don't talk to too many people. It's like, oh, I think next week's going to be worse. Well, it probably will be now that you said it's going to be worse, and that's our outlook on it. So here's what we do. The last thing in that part of the passage, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 6 if you want to. But these were big people, right? We're, and like I said earlier, we're not saying that your problem's not big, but your God is bigger. We're not saying that it isn't intimidating, that you don't find yourself overwhelmed, but when you're overwhelmed, the, answer, the question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn to the God who's bigger than your problem, or are you going to stay focused on the problem and find yourself paralyzed? In their own estimation, they seemed like grasshoppers, verse 33, and we looked the same to them. Here's the thing for the problem of the, the ten guys as well as us. The ten spies compared the giants to themselves while Joshua and Caleb compared the giants to God. And that made all the difference. We do the same thing. We start looking at how big our problems are and we keep our problems big and our God small. We compare our problems to ourselves and that will let you down every single time. So in the time remaining, what I want to do is I want to share with you four mistakes. They made a whole lot more than this, but this is just the four I wanted to share that the Israelites make, and I believe that we do too, when we make our problems big and our God small. There's four things, I think, that if you'll do these four things, it'll help recenter your life in the midst of whatever you're overwhelmed with. And it's been interesting what God has allowed to come into my life over the past two weeks and just see in different people's lives. This works every time at least every time that I've tried to employ it in my own life. And so I think you'll see it as well. The other cool part about this is you think, man, Book of Numbers, Old Testament, this has nothing to do with us today. It actually has a lot to do with us. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, he's, he's kind of recounting what happened to the nation of Israel. And he says that these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on the evil things as they did. As Paul recounts the nation of Israel, he says, look, you can go back and look at this as an example of how you're supposed to live or how not to live, and it can help you even today. And so I love this. We're like 3,500 years removed from this account. Paul's like another 1,500 years removed from this account. And he says, look, this stuff is helpful. 
to look back at how they handled this situation and to know that we don't have to handle it the same way. Here's the first mistake they made, and I'm sure I've made it, and I'm sure you've made it as well. Number one is they listened to people rather than listening to God. If you read the last part of chapter 13, and then we come into chapter 14, and it says in chapter 14, verse 1, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. They listened to the ten people who came back and said in verse uh, 31, but the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Not only did those ten fail to listen to what God wanted, but they led an entire nation astray. I'm not saying it's bad to, to talk to people. Matter of fact, if God's put somebody in your life who loves the Lord and who's following him and who loves you, man, you should heed their, their wisdom. But we don't ever want that to trump what God wants for our lives. It's not that you can't listen to him. You just got to understand that God has told us what's going to happen as well. Just as in Exodus chapter 23 and in Exodus chapter 20 or 33, God laid out what, how you go into the promised land. You realize he's laid out for us what's going to happen, right, in his word. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, but mark this in the last days, it will be terrible days. People will be lovers of themselves, addicted to pleasure, lovers of, of evil as opposed to good, boastful, proud, arrogant, disobedient to their parents, have nothing to do with these people. They'll be slanderous, they'll be treacherous. And Paul tells so Timothy, who in turn is telling us, and he says, look, this is the world you're going to live in, so don't be surprised, that it, especially when it comes to the time where Jesus is close to return, that that's what the world is going to look like. But the first mistake they made is that they listened to people rather than listening to the Lord. The second mistake they made was they made irrational decisions while they were overwhelmed. And I have seen this take place in so many people's lives and including my own. When you become overwhelmed, your filter just kind of goes away. And you'll say and do things and think things when you're overwhelmed that you would never do on a normal day. I think Satan loves, when we're overwhelmed, to come in and just plant those seeds of doubt. And doubt by itself is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing to work out our faith. But man, you, you get some pressure from your job or no job, or you get some pressure from a, from a family member being sick. You get some pressure from other stuff, and you'll think and say and, and, and do things that you just wouldn't do in a normal time. They made irrational decisions while they were overwhelmed. Take a look what these guys did. All the Israelites grumbled in verse 2 against Moses and Aaron. They said, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, I don't know if you recall what they did in Egypt, but 400 years of slavery does not sound better than the potential of going into the promised land. I could be wrong. I was not there. I did not see the giants. I did, I did not see the promised land, but I'm thinking this would be better. And they start to make an irrational decision in the midst of being overwhelmed. And I just want to caution you against doing that. Matter of fact, if you're overwhelmed in here today, maybe the best thing you could do is find a friend who loves you and cares about you and say, you know what, I'm probably not making the best calls right now. Can I run this by you? Because God in his grace puts us in a group of people partly to do that, to protect each other and to help each other. We get so overwhelmed sometimes we're not thinking clearly, and Satan loves to sow those seeds of doubt when we're overwhelmed. I, the one question I always wonder about this time in Israel's history, because if you know anything about their history, from this point on, it is not a good day for them. This is kind of the turning, turning point for them. What would have happened if they just would have stepped back? 
And they would have said, time out. Like, we can go back to Egypt. That was a bad 400 years. Or we can go over here where God said, like, all these people are going to be. The land's going to be this way. We can go that way. And what if they had just taken a step back and just called a, a time out on what they were doing? Would they have made a different decision? I, I don't know. Maybe not. But the question I have for you today is, what if you took a step back? What if whatever you're facing right now, what if whatever you're going through right now, if instead of just jumping right in and making whatever decision, what if you just took a step back and said, God, I, I don't know about this, not real sure, and, and so-and-so, can you, can you help me with this? What would happen in your life? They were on the edge of their inheritance. They were on the, the, the precipice of walking into the promised land, and they're like, nope, we're all going to die. The giants are going to kill us. Let's go back to Egypt. And what would happen in your life? And what would happen in my life if we just, when you get to that point where you're overwhelmed, instead of just crumbling, you took a step back and just took a deep breath and said, okay, God, what are we going to do? So number one, they listened to people rather than God. Number two, they made irrational decisions while they were overwhelmed. Number three, and this one uh, uh, I will say is I've done this in my life, they allowed their circumstances to dictate their faithfulness. So they're cool with God when he leads them out of Egypt. They're cool with God when he takes them across the Red Sea. They're cool with God when he, he gives them food in the desert, because that'd be great. They're cool with God even when he makes some rules, and they don't follow him, and he kind of has to get on their case, and they're cool with that. But the moment he calls them to step out, they're like, yeah, I don't know. That seems pretty tough. And they're paralyzed. They can't do what God wants them to do. Unfortunately for myself and for many of us, we found ourselves kind of paralyzed over the last six months. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Look, you gotta, you got to step out. He's still with you. He has not abandoned you. He is still walking alongside you. And you can't just stay back and go, well, you know, I don't know if we're going to follow God today or not because it didn't quite turn out like I thought. I don't know if you followed God long enough, but if you have for like more than three weeks, you can probably tell that every time I've tried to force my hand with God, it's ended up bad. And every time I've just kind of sucked it up and followed him, it's gone a lot better. And so, man, what would have happened if they would have done that? I, I don't know. What would have happened if you do that right now? But we can't allow our circumstances to dictate our faithfulness. Take a look what happens in verse 5. It says, Moses and Aaron fell face down. So these guys are like, this is a big deal. God's going to be mad. We got we to gotta do something. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. They make their appeal. Don't allow your circumstances to dictate your faithfulness to God. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there are problems that occur. But we can't allow those things to pop up to distract us from what we're called to do. And this is hard. And if we're honest in here, I'll raise my hand first. We're, we're a bunch of hypocrites sometimes. I'm a hypocrite sometimes because we'll say, yeah, we'll follow God. And then it gets hard. And we're like, yeah, I don't know about that anymore. And that's not, you're not a bad person. You're a human. And they struggled with it. And I struggle with it. And you've probably struggled with it. And so what do we do? How do we get past this? Where, where do we go? The other thing they did is they lost their minds over the giants. They were willing to walk away from the promised land. And there's present circumstances that happen in our lives and for many of you. And let me just encourage you to continue to move forward. The last thing, so they listened to people rather than God. 
they made irrational decisions while they were overwhelmed. They allowed their circumstances to dictate their faithfulness. And then lastly, they forgot that the Lord was with them. I want you to think for just a minute of all that God's done for you. All the ways he's protected you. All the ways he's provided for you. All the ways he's shown up in ways that only God could show up. And for many of you in this room, and for those of you who are watching online, you can probably recall, if we were to go through the room, we'd be here for days of all the ways. If you're not following the Lord, let me just challenge you to make today that day. Because he wants to not only take your sin away, he wants to give you an inheritance that lasts forever. He wants to give you peace right now. And he wants you to experience that today. And so if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, man, you've got to get that straightened out. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. I'll stay down here. But for those of us who are following the Lord, man, it doesn't take long for me to go, wow, God showed up in this way. He showed up really big in this way. He showed up over here. He showed up over here. And that's what they forgot. They forgot that he led them out of Egypt. They forgot that he led them through the Red Sea. They forgot that they gave them food in the desert. They forgot that he led them by a cloud and by fire at night. And they forgot that the Lord was with them. They forgot that in Exodus 23 and Exodus 33, God laid out the exact plans for how to go into the promised land. They forgot that he told them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. They forgot all of the things. So here's my thing. If they forgot, we'll probably forget. And if you forgot today that the Lord is for you, he is with you, he wants to be a part of your life. And I just challenge you today to recenter your life, to make sure that he's big and your problems are small, and to make sure that today is the first day of a, an entirely new direction for you. They forgot that the Lord was with them. Verse 9 says this, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. The, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. They forgot that the Lord was with them. Have you forgotten that the Lord is with you? And as we follow out the story of the nation of Israel, unfortunately, um, if you know what happens, read down through the rest of chapter 14, they didn't like what Caleb and Joshua had to say. Matter of fact, they said, let's stone those guys. Like that was their response. And they said, no, the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. So Joshua, who's a young guy at this time, the nation of Israel doesn't get to go into the promised land, but they get another opportunity because God is gracious and kind. And a guy named Joshua, the God who is make, guy who's making the plea today, leads the entire nation into some really big walls of the city of Jericho. They come in, and the Lord steps in, wipes them out. They go and begin their conquest into the promised land to take the place where God had told them to go, and they eventually end up there. But it took a generation of people being lost because they forgot that the Lord was with them. And I don't want you and I don't want myself to make it through the next six minutes, six days, six weeks, or six months of whatever is going to happen in this crazy world to walk out of here and not remember that the Lord is with you. So if they forgot it, we'll forget it. You've got to remind yourself early and often that the Lord is with you, that he goes before you, which is why I appreciate today that we get the opportunity to do another chance to remember, and that is in communion. Communion is a chance to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Not only does God love you, not only does God care for you, not only does God have a plan for you, but he paid for your sin on the cross because he loves you. 
He died for you. He took your place. He's the substitution for where you and I should be. And communion gives us the chance to remember that sacrifice. And so today as we come to that, we need to remember that God has delivered us from our sins. And we can celebrate the fact that we have an inheritance with him that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so as we come to this time of communion, I'm going to read a couple passages and we'll We'll pray as well um, throughout this. If you have it, you can go ahead and get it ready. But this is why it's so important. It's because they forgot the Lord was with them. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.